0: From the Mount Sinai Health System in New York City, this is Road to Resilience, a podcast about weathering adversity. I'm John Earl. My guest today is Dr. Monica Ardelt. She's a professor of sociology at the University of Florida. Dr. Ardelt is among a small group of scholars that study something I didn't even realize you could study until recently. She studies wisdom. What is it? Where does it come from? And why does it matter? Dr. Ardell is also interested in the relationship between wisdom and adversity, which is how she came onto my radar. I wanted to ask her how wisdom helps us weather adversity, and under what circumstances adversity itself leads to wisdom, as opposed to just empty suffering. And, of course, I'll admit, what I really wanted to know was how can we become wiser? Dr. Ardell touches on all of this and so much more in our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Monica Ardell, welcome to Road to Resilience. Thank you. I know scholars don't agree on a single definition of wisdom, but you have a definition that's fairly widely used, and it consists of three components. So I was wondering if you could just take us through those components and maybe give us an example of each one.
1: Yes. So um, I define wisdom as a combination or an integration of cognitive, reflective, and compassionate uh, dimensions The cognitive component, when you think about wisdom, you know, what comes to mind? And many people, when they think about wisdom, they think about, oh, wise people know something. They know something that other people don't know. So they know, Okay. so what do they know? They know about things that are related to life. They know about the deeper meaning in, in, uh, of life, and they know about things that are related to um, how to interact with other people, and they know themselves. So, wise people don't necessarily know, you know, the, the latest research on quantum physics or something. This is not what wisdom is about. It's wisdom is about, you know, how to live a good life, how to live a flourishing life. What should you do to live a good and flourishing life?
0: So to make sure I understand the cognitive, it's not just that you know something intellectually. It's like, say, everybody knows we're mortal, but wise people know it deeply. They know it in exactly. a special way. Is exactly.
1: that right? Exactly. And this gets me then to what the philosopher John Kieker said, He says that what wise people know, everybody already knows, you know. So, for example, right, um, humans are mortal. We already know this, right? And yet we really don't understand it at all. You know, we live our lives as if we were immortal, or at least, you know, as if I was immortal. Maybe you die, but you know, not me. You know, I'm immortal. You know, you get a, you get, you know, you, you are, you're 90. You know, and suddenly you realize you're dying. I said, "What? What happened? You know, why me?" Yeah, well, you're mortal. You know, oh, oh, okay. And so, really, often people don't get it until the very end. And wise people get it earlier.
0: It's as almost as if they know all the adages that are so tired, exactly. but they know it deeply. They know exactly. it actually to be true and they act on it, right? They live yes. in a way that's consistent.
1: Yes, with yes. These they understand sayings. the deeper meaning of these, you right. know, these truths. It's not just, you know, okay, I know it, you know, and I know this and this. And that's the reason why you can't just read Books about wisdom and which will make you wise—you know—it's not enough. You know, you really have to live it, and to become wiser in the process. So, how do you get it right? And I think that's the reflective dimension. So this is and the, the second dimension of that's the, the three dimensions, one, right? The reflective dimension. And and I define the reflective dimension basically uh, looking at um, phenomena and events from different perspectives, from multiple perspectives. But this also includes looking at yourself from a different perspective, so from the observer view. And one of the things, this self-insight that happens, I think that you realize is that, hmm, I might have the same faults as other people's have, because it's so easy to see these faults in other people. Look at all these selfish people that are running around. You know, they're all so selfish, not me. Right. I am. I'm am so altruistic. And then you look at yourself and say, oh, wait a second. Maybe I'm selfish, too. Maybe I'm looking out for myself, too. And all these others. Oh, look at this, you know. I'm angry too, you know, I'm prejudiced too, you know, all these things. And to admit this, and by being able to see one's own faults, and not just being self critical, overcritical, but to say, all right, I'm not perfect, and that's okay. Because other people are not perfect either, and that's okay. So you become more tolerant toward yourself, but also toward other people. And that's where the compassionate dimension comes in. The
0: third dimension.
1: Uh, The third dimension, you develop compassion and sympathetic love toward the faults of other people, but also your own. You know, self-compassion, I think, is is also a component of that.
0: Wisdom researchers do not agree on a definition, but they all seem to agree that we do not become wiser as we get older. And I want to highlight this because, to me, it adds urgency. It's not just like Mm. you can live your life and assume you're going to get wiser someday because we all associate wisdom with older people. No, you actually might have to try to get wiser. Yes. So what is the relationship between age and wisdom?
1: Yes, it's true that aging, that getting older by itself will not make you wiser. But it is also true that wisdom comes with experience. But experience might be necessary, but it's not sufficient to become wiser. So the missing ingredient is learning from experience. (laughs) And that seems to be harder than one might think, because a lot of people have a lot of experiences. Everybody has experiences and particularly experiences of hardship and crisis in life, can make you wiser if you learn something from it. If you learn, for example, that everything is changing. If you learn, for example, that people are a model. If you learn to reorganize your priorities and see what is really important in life, so, yes, the the major thing is learning from experiences. And not everybody necessarily do this. The other thing I think what happens is also, and that's from my research, that has shown that there is a curvilinear relationship between age and wisdom. And it peaks uh, in late midlife, in late midlife, so and then goes down long? again. Yes, 50s, 60s, goes down again. But it's also really, uh, it also it also depends on education. Uh, with higher education, there isn't necessarily a change. Um, however, what what goes down is the cognitive element, and the way I measure it is a desire to know, is a desire to uh, to learn about the world. And it might very well be that at one point people just say, "I'm done. You know, I, I know everything that there is to know, and I'm done. I'm not curious anymore." And then you know that that goes down, right? Interestingly, the the compassionate dimension of wisdom, I I, I found the opposite. That it was actually a U-shaped form, so that it went down in midlife, but then it went up again in old age. And that might be that people do become more compassionate, particularly if they have grandchildren, and more forgiving and tolerant toward others
0: it squares with reality i mean we all know older people who seem to become big hearted and generous and compassionate and remain curious but we also know people who understandably i have to say like with physical disability become angry and smaller yeah. and their world shrinks and yes. that all squares i feel like with my own experience with older yes. people
1: and, and and i think that's exactly what happens if if things if things happen in a way that that they were not as planned, because people often have plans for retirement, and then things happen, and people cannot reconcile with this. You know, they just are very disappointed in in things, and and or they get disabled much earlier than they would have thought, or get a you know um an, an illness or something like this. And I think that's where people. Don't reflect on others, but really are more concerned about themselves. And this is how this, the wisdom score can decline.
0: This gets at a really core question, which is becoming wise is not automatic and no. it's hard work. Yes. So why should somebody bother? Uh-huh. Right? <laughs> why should we care? Why should we try to become yes. wiser? I mean, you're already speaking to one answer, which is life satisfaction in old age. Yes. But talk about some of the other advantages to being wise or becoming wise. Ever thought about enrolling in a clinical trial? The Mount Sinai Health System has over 800 active clinical trials, each geared toward developing new medicines and treatments. Visit mtsinai.org slash clinical dash trials to see if you're eligible. Mount Sinai. We find a way.
1: So so it's not just well-being, it's not just life satisfaction, it's not just this feeling of contentment, which I think is pretty good already, but it also leads to mastery, a feeling of mastery over things that you can control, and equanimity over the things you cannot control. So really kind of a Buddhist notion, you know, so that to accept the things or the the prayer, right? The serenity prayer serenity prayer, exactly, right? To to know the wisdom, to know the difference, what you can control and what you have to accept, exactly. Um, but it also, uh, wise people do know what the deeper meaning of life is, which is quite satisfying, you know, because then you know, you you have your compass, you know what you need to do in life. You're not floundering, you know, what is it? What do I need? You know, do I need to have the most money on stuff? No, you know, it is actually about becoming a better person, becoming a better citizen, a better fellow human being. So yes, so there's more, there's more <laughs> than just feeling good. Because you can feel good. Here's the thing, right? You can feel good after you had a great meal or a nice evening with friends or you see a show, right? Or you go on a nice trip. Well, this feels good, right? But what happens if you cannot have this anymore? And this is why it's really important in old age. Because in old age, a lot of these external things that provide happiness are often taken away. And to remain content, that requires wisdom. When people are at the end of life, when people are seriously ill, when people are disabled, to remain content required wisdom.
0: We've talked about experiences, and I want to drill down into experiences because I think this is where resilience comes up. We know, I think intuitively, that when an adverse experience happens, it can lead to growth and it could lead to suffering and it can lead to some combination of both, yes. most likely. And so we've already talked about the importance of experience and learning from experience in a certain way. And so I was wondering if you could talk to that and kind of get into what determines what will happen after an adverse experience.
1: Yes. And there, there, there are different models that's- um, Gluck and Black have this more experience model, and they are saying, you know, it depends the resources you go into when you when you encounter uh, a critical life experience. And the more experience model is mastery. How much mastery do you feel you have over over the event? Openness to experience, reflectivity, and and also empathy. So having empathy and and emotional regulation in some ways what i think is yes all of this matters you know openness to experiences clearly not not closing down but seeing opportunities you know uh, when something happens what can i do to make it better you know rather than oh i there's nothing i can do i'm just staying there and being devastated, right? No, there's almost always something you can do, something, right? And so looking at the opportunities, what can be done. And, um, and, and emotion regulation is very important because when people get um, trying to stay on an even keel, even so knowing that these things happen. And clearly if bad things happen, people feel bad. That's perfectly natural. But one of the things that you learn from Buddhist philosophy is that things change, right? So things don't don't stay the same. And so you can accept, yes, I feel depressed because this happened. I feel angry. I feel anxious. But I also know this will change. It will not stay. And so you're not holding on to it and just say, okay, I accept it. I'm very angry now. or I'm very depressed now. But I know this will change. So I just wait for it to change. And so that gives you hope in some ways. You know, yes, it will change. And then what? What the other thing, what I think is sometimes ignored is social support. You know, do you have social support? I think that matters a lot. Other people who support you in some way or the other. And depending what, what the issue is, I think societal support can really help. In, in terms of supporting people to, to grow in wisdom rather than being completely devastated.
0: I know you've studied wisdom and physicians. Can you share what you found from that study?
1: This is actually more Margaret Blue's uh, Ogan study. And so I was a part of it, but not the major contributor. So there we're studying, looking at um, physicians who committed medical error. And what helped afterwards and looking at the physician who scored relatively highly on a three-dimensional wisdom, what helped was primarily being able to say, yes, I made this medical error. Yes, I'm human. I'm not God. And so to accept this and having other colleagues, and again, this is social support, having a safe space to talk about this being able to go to the patient and say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. What can we do to fix this? And the physicians who were able to go to the patient and say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. I screwed up. What can we do? They often found that the patient was was forgiving. You know, say, all right, you know, let's, let's fix it. And they were not suing. But if nothing was coming from the physician. They were prevented from doing this. Then they would sue because they felt abandoned.
0: Let's talk to somebody who's listening and who is now convinced that it is important to become wise, not just for well-being, but for all the reasons that we've talked about. What can that person do? What do we know from the research about what that person can actually do to become wise?
1: I think two things. One thing is when... Anything challenging or negative happens in life, to stop, breathe deeply and really look at, okay, what can I do? Rather than giving into despair and just going down this path of depression, anxiety, anger, you know, to say, okay, something happened. What does it mean? What can I do? What do I learn from it? And how can I find a positive path out of it? So that is one thing. Um, And that's actually what Pascal Leone said. This is uh, one person who also studied wisdom. He said there are two pathways to wisdom. And this is one, what he calls these ultimate limit situations. These are the situations that, you know, If they don't kill you, they make you wiser, Um, but they might kill you. It might be the ultimate limit situation. I would say it's not just the ultimate limit situation. You can actually learn from any negative experiences. And one of one very simple one is somebody, you know, you're driving in traffic. Somebody cuts you off. Right. And it's like, you know, the natural reaction, at least for me, would be Yeah, you know, why is this person cutting me off? You know, what then, you know, bad person, you know. Or you can say, all right, person cut me off. You know, maybe he was in a hurry. Maybe really was late for a meeting or who knows what, you know. Fine, right? Be okay with it, you know. Start with the low-hanging fruits, you know, before you get to the really big ones. But the other thing, and this is also what Pascal Leone says, is meditation. Having a regular meditation practice means that you take yourself out of everyday life and give yourself some space to reflect, to be with yourself, and just let it happen. You know, whatever there is, and there are different meditation techniques, and just accept what is. I think meditation gives you a time out out to be able to learn to accept what is. And so one of the research actually found that, yes, people uh, who meditated for a very long time did have higher three-dimensional wisdom scores than just beginners. So meditation seems to do something.
0: Do you feel like we're living in an unwise society or a society in which it becomes harder and harder to be wise. I mean, I've I've heard you asked about social media, for example, and the political bubbles that people end up in that make it harder to see other people's points of view. I mean, we talked a little bit earlier about the situations that seem to support somebody becoming wise. So what do you think about that?
1: Yeah. So openness to experiences is really one of these that um, has been shown to be a a predictor of wisdom. And if you live in your own bubble, it's harder to be open to experiences. And and of course, with social media, it becomes worse and worse because the recommendations that you get are part of your bubble. And so you're not really exposed to other people. Um, so in, in terms of do we live in an unwise society, I'm not sure about this. I see, I see both strands. I think there is a desire for wisdom. There is a desire for mindfulness, for example. It has become really popular. Then we have the other side, you know, where even empirical reality is questioned. you know. So there are the truth completely disappears and it's not valued anymore or you can just make up your own truth and that I think is very anti-ethical to the cognitive dimension of wisdom because the cognitive dimension of wisdom is about finding out the deeper truth of what is and not just making up your own truth you know so that's misguided and you have to get through this therefore the reflective dimension to get to a deeper truth Right? And so to give up on truth I think is a is a very big mistake, you know? So it's divided, you know so some people on this side, but then they are I, I see I see a lot of hope too and a desire to become wiser.
0: There are so many mysteries, I think remaining when it comes to understanding what wisdom is and how it comes about. I was wondering if you could pick a single one that if you could wave a magic wand and understand Mm -hmm. something, what would it be?
1: Well, I'll tell you what I'm, what I'm getting interested in right now. It's organizational wisdom. And the question is how can we, how can we infuse organizations with wisdom? And that's what I'm really getting interested in because With climate change uh, threatening our very survival, I think that's really needed. And then how can wisdom enter into the political sphere, for example? You know, how does this happen?
0: Do you have any initial thoughts on how an organization, for example, might become wise?
1: I think it has something to do with the leader. And the intention of the leadership—it's not just one leader. It's the intention of the leadership to, uh, depending on this of the size of the organization, of course. What is the intention? Why does this organization exist? You know, does it exist to make more more money for the shareholder, and that's the only thing that we care about? Or is an organization there to actually serve others in some ways by providing goods that are helpful for others, by providing health care for others, right, in terms by providing a service to others that others need. So, and, and with this intention, if you, if you have the intention of doing good for others, then I think it becomes, again, this ripple effect. Then you look at your, uh, not just at your customer, not at your, your, your stakeholders, your shareholders. You also look at the environment. You know, do what we do, does it threaten the environment in any way? Then it's not good. Then you need to change it. And you look at your workers, It's not about profits in the end. It's about people. And if we change this kind of thinking, I think then the world will really be a better place and we will not go extinct because of global warming. So, yeah.
0: (laughs) I think that's a great note to end on. Thank you so much, Dr. Ardell.
1: Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I enjoyed my conversation with you.
0: Dr. Monica Ardelt is a professor of sociology at the University of Florida. That's all for this episode of Road to Resilience. The podcast is a production of the Mount Sinai Health System in New York City. It's made by Nikki Cheatham, me, John and our wise executive producer, Lucille Lee. From all of us here, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.